Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello listeners and hello video viewers. Welcome to another episode of Luke's English Podcast. Let me just tell you what you can expect from this episode today. So this is a swap cast between Luke's English Podcast and English with Ray, which means that we are both uploading this to our podcasts and YouTube channels. Okay, so you can find this on my channel and also Ray's channel. Uh, Ray, Ray Adam, is an English teacher from Glasgow in Scotland. And uh, you'll be able to notice his accent, which is not the strongest Glaswegian accent I've ever heard, but it's definitely noticeable, which is great because I love Scottish accents. Um, so Ray is from Scotland and um, he has recently started making videos on YouTube for learners of English. So he's an online English teacher who has recently started making uh, YouTube uh, videos. And one of Ray's students, whose name is Ivan, and I think Ivan is from Russia, um, probably. So Ivan suggested to Ray that he start doing uh, videos on YouTube and that he also contact me for an interview because uh, Ivan is a Lepster and he said, hey, you should start doing uh, podcast episodes and you should invite Luke Thompson onto your show. So that's what you're going to listen to or watch here. Okay, this is Ray Adam interviewing me for his channel. And this is a fairly relaxed and free-ranging conversation. And after chatting a bit about playing music and performing music and comedy in front of audiences of people, we ended up talking about the psychology of learning English, particularly how to manage anxiety or nerves when using English in stressful situations like presentations or job interviews and things like that. And we also give our comments on how to work on your confidence and how to have the right mental approach to learning a language, which is one of the most important steps to take. Before you start anything, really, you've got to kind of get the right uh, attitude about your learning. So listen on for some comments and tips about how to manage your stress levels in English how to become more confident in English, and how to take control of your communication skills in general. And as well as that, if you've ever seen um, if you've ever seen my YouTube videos and you've noticed that there are guitars on the walls and things, well, uh, uh, and you've wondered about them, well, I mean, we talk a little bit, maybe for the first five minutes, about one of, my, one of the guitars on my walls. So there's a bit of guitar chat before we get into the language learning stuff. Thank you to Ray for sending this recording to me. This is was originally supposed to be just on his channel, but this might be a, a good way to sort of bring exposure to him. You might want to check out Ray's channel on YouTube. It's called English with Ray. You'll find a link uh, in the description. And uh, Ray only has a few videos there at the moment, but everyone's got to start somewhere. 
Uh, I've noticed that Ray also speaks fluent Arabic, so any Arabic-speaking Lepsters might be particularly interested in Ray's content, as he might have some insights into differences between Arabic and English. I'm not sure he's actually specifically covered that yet, you know, Arabic and English or some sort of uh, video or content for Arabic Arabic speakers learning English. I don't know if he's done any of that content yet, um, but maybe that's something he could work on in the, in the future, in a, in a future video. But anyway, Arabic uh, speakers, you might be particularly interested in um, finding out about Ray Adam. Okay, anyway, that's it for this introduction, and I will now let you listen to this conversation between me and Ray, firstly about playing music, and then about the challenges of managing your confidence when using English in stressful situations. I'll probably speak to you again briefly at the end of this chat, maybe just on the just on the audio version. I'll, I'll probably come back and ramble to you a little bit, and maybe even play a song on the guitar or something like that. That might just be in the audio version. But in any case, it's now for, time for me to just let you listen to this conversation. Okay, so here we go. Let's get started right now. Oh, we're rolling. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and joining me today. It's it's a pleasure, Ray. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, yeah. It's always nice to be invited onto things. Uh, there are uh-huh. more and more. There are sort of teachers doing podcasts and YouTube channels and stuff. English teachers, and uh, every now and then I get a little invite from yeah. someone. Yeah, I think it's a kind of cool way that the teaching method is developing. Is that you know have things like this? Yeah, you, you know you had the YouTube videos. Now we have discussions like such. That's right. Um, I mean, the internet's incredible the way it has brought English to learners of English in this way. Mm-hmm. There was a time when it was very, very hard to find the right kind of audio material or video material for, for learning sure. English. And it, yeah, it was really, really difficult for, for learners to, to do it. And they would get sort of like tapes or even vinyl records mm-hmm. uh, of, of, of English being spoken or like finding, you know, tuning into the BBC World Service and stuff like that. Whereas these days with the internet, you just go onto YouTube or wherever and bang, there it is. There's people speaking directly to you. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess with learning anything, if you want to learn an instrument or if you, and I see you have some instruments behind you or learning mm. a language, learning anything. Yeah. It's, I'm guessing you're in a band or you are in a band. Is that, a, actually, is that a Stratocaster? Um, so on the, on this left. side, uh, yeah. on the left behind me, there is a Fender Stratocaster. That's right. I can show you if you like. Yeah, please. Um, yeah, all right. Hold on. <clears throat> all right, bear with me while I put the uh, headphones back in. You won't actually. That, you won't really be able to. It looks American. To. It's an American strat, right? It's not. It's a Mexican made. Uh, is it, it's a, that um, it's paintwork on the body looks beautiful, isn't it? It's actually a natural finish, so um, there's no paintwork. Can you see the wow? See the grain of the wood in it. Yeah, yeah. What what's that part that called? Um, I forget the name. The um, no, on the other side, the is it called the scratch this. board or something? Scratch, what's the name of scratch plate? Scratch, scratch plate. plate. Yeah. Scratch plate yeah, looks yeah, yeah. lovely. So this is actually a Mexican-made uh, Fender Stratocaster. Oh, mm-hmm. can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. You can hear me, all right? Can you? Uh, it's a it's a Mexican-made Fender Stratocaster. Uh, they, it's the Player series, right? So they have these different series made in different places. The 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 Player series is generally the the cheapest um, of the Fender range, and it does say Fender on the um, 
on the headstock, you know? Yeah. So it's the cheaper of the range, but this is nice. This was a limited edition in this kind of um, natural finish with the tortoise shell scratch plate and these kind of cream or off-white pickups. And I guess it's a rosewood uh, fingerboard. But yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? I wish I could do it justice. You can't really hear it. But um, there you that, go. That's that, a that chord you're doing, I think it's called an E seven sharp nine or something. That's the one Jimi Hendrix used to always play, right? Jimi Hendrix, yeah. For me, so the Jimi Hendrix like chord is, is like this. It. Yeah, that's the Jimi Hendrix chord, and this one, uh-huh. that's the James Brown. Ah, okay. Okay, cool. You know, sweet. Anyway, <laughs> that's that's a Fender Strat, and the other one. Is that a bass, right? That's a bass, yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's actually the one I play more than this because I'm I'm not so good on the guitar. I'm more of a bass player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, are you into guitars and stuff too? Do you play? No, um, I used to a long time ago, a lifetime ago, uh-huh. in fact. But uh, I used to have a Japanese Stratocaster, and you know I loved Jimi oh. Hendrix growing up. Yes. Japanese strat, that's nice. That that beats a Mexican one, I think. Um, it, it was okay. It had it was kind of falling apart. So, well, to be honest, I had a Mexican Stratocaster body, but the Japanese Stratocaster neck was like a maple neck, and I put that swapped the bodies, and the pickups from the Japanese one went into the Mexican body. But uh, the bridge pickup was broken, so I got like a, a humbucker pickup, and it was kind of like a Frankenstein guitar. But it was cool. Sounds, I liked it. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> I like those kinds of guitars, especially when you put a humbucker pickup on a, on a strap. That's always interesting. Yeah, sure. It sure yeah. is. So did you start, uh, what came first for you? Was it play, music or was it teaching? Oh, music. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I first started playing the piano when I was 11. So I decided it, it like a lot of kids, um, like they take piano lessons because their parents tell them to. Sure. Um, sure. And um, I was actually kind of the rare exception where I got to 11 and I was like, I, I want to do, I want to play the piano. And it's because we had a neighbor who was um, older than us and he played piano really, really well. And he did all that boogie woogie stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And yeah. so he would, he would play all this amazing boogie woogie piano and I would just stand there, you know, my jaw on the yeah. floor <laughs> and, and I decided I wanted to learn piano too. So I ended up taking lessons with the same guy, the guy's, teacher the same teacher and so for five years i studied classical piano and uh uh have you done a lot of concerts have you played on stage many times not 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 piano no because when when i you know i hit 15 16 and Uh decided that i would be much more interested in other things (laughs) in in life um suddenly i got distracted by everything else like uh the girls and and like you know stuff like that and uh I decided classical music wasn't really my cup of tea. So anyway, I, I then ended up playing the drums. Mm-hmm. So we were lucky to have a kind of garage that wasn't connected to the house and we had a drum kit in it. So I would go and play the drums every day for an hour. I was supposed to play the, the piano for an hour to practice, mm-hmm. but I would just end up going and playing the drums. Mm-hmm. And I was a huge fan of Jimi Hendrix too. So Mitch Mitchell yeah. was like my favorite uh, drummer. And I tried to copy all the things Amazing. he did. Uh-huh. Uh, so not as no, I didn't play concerts on piano, but I've done quite a lot of gigs and things on drums mostly and some bass. 
t- tell me about your first ever gig. You know, so I think this is an interesting topic for us to talk about because back when I was playing guitar, as I said, a lifetime ago, um, I was like inside my bedroom. I was rocking. Uh, you know, I had the long hair and I was really getting into it. But then you go in front of a stage and it's it's very different. Everyone's staring at you and, you know, the nerves kicking. And um, for me, I had a bad experience the first, I, I think I did like five or six gigs. But the first time I went on stage, I had a bad experience because my nerves mm-hmm. got the better of me. But why I think right. that might be of benefit to some of our uh, students that could be listening to this is they might be able to speak in English to a degree, like uh, privately, or they're mm. watching something they understand, or they're talking to their teacher and it's cool. But the second they go to a job interview or they go in a different country or there's a few people listening or they're talking to different people, again, it's the 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 nerves. We have this expression that unregulated emotion is the enemy of performance. And I found that to be the case in music. I found when uh, my nerves kicked in, I, I couldn't perform as well. But yeah, uh, have you had any really nervous experiences uh, going up on stage? Yeah, lots and lots. Mm. Loads. Um, not so much in music, though. Uh, as a drummer, I always felt like uh, sitting by the drum kit was where I wanted to be. Mm. And it was just exciting. And sure. the, the advantage of being the drummer is that you're not the one on the front. at the front. You don't have to remember lyrics or talk to the audience. Uh-huh. You're just there to, you know, provide the groove <laughs> yeah. or whatever. So no, not so much as as a drummer, um, but I've definitely felt a lot of nerves um, in other things. So I do comedy as well. I do stand up. That's right. I saw um, that on your website. Yeah, and so that is much, much more nerve wracking. I can imagine. And I've, I've definitely had that feeling many times. Of you know you're going to go up on stage in half an hour or something, and I'm just I you know can't get comfortable trying to get comfortable. I've got butterflies in your stomach. Sure, your neck and your back go all stiff. You know, like this, you don't breathe properly, and it's a horrible feeling, absolutely awful. Um, and how do yeah, you regulate so I, it? How do you um, mitigate that stress? So three three things. First mm. thing is uh, preparation. Right. So prepare, prepare, prepare for the thing that you're going to do. And that means, you know, you've got to prepare in the right way, too. So for me doing stand up, it's about remembering the materials, the material or the main points I want to make and then just performing it again and again, hopefully in front of an audience. Mm. Right. But if not on my own, just doing it again and again. So the words all come out. I remember all the things I've got to say. So preparation. Second thing is like just physically, like what you do, how you breathe and how you hold mm-hmm. yourself physically before the thing happens in order to manage those horrible, sure. nervous, debilitating, nervous feelings mm-hmm. that you get in your body. So I find that sort of like either moving around, getting up, moving around a bit um, or and, and remembering to take deep breaths, you know, to try and get things under control, because yep. when you're nervous... Yep. You start to breathe kind of shallow in a yep. shallow way yep. from up here mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. So you've got to make sure that the, get the oxygen all the way in. So remember to take, you know, deep breaths to kind of get things mm-hmm. under control. And I also found that doing things like opening up my body and stretching mm-hmm. would actually really help to gain a bit more control over myself. Um, the tendency is when you're feeling nervous is to kind of go into a ball. Yeah. You no, know, I you see comedians and I've done it myself sitting there 
kind of in a little ball with their paper and their notes on it and they're all wrapped up like this and even on stage or when you're performing or anything the tendency is to protect you know to kind of start to get um that kind of defect protective body language we've seen it many times people standing in front of people and for some reason one leg crosses over in front of the other one uh or um yeah the arms crossing as well and yeah, and I, I yeah. mean, as a teacher, I've seen many presentations from students and you get odd things like people just talking to one side of the room mm-hmm. um, and this side of the room has not been, you know, you're kind of, your shoulder is cutting uh-huh. them off. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, it's all about con- trying to control your body, uh, standing open, um, shoulders back a little bit. And doing that basically tells your body so I, I am, I, when you're nervous, you, as I said, you want to go defensive. If you force yourself to open out, it kind of tells your body not to be nervous in a weird way. It can help a bit. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, you made a lot of really good points about like the breathing becomes really shallow and the body response and see when we feel any emotion, whether it's anger or sadness or uh, nervousness, there is some kind of response in the body. The body starts doing something you know, you go from nervous thought to feeling to reaction. But if you stay in this kind of crunched over, you know, way, then it's it's kind of enabling that uh, pattern of just negative feelings. And although it's difficult to control the mind, you can control the body. You can open it back up. You can breathe deeply and you can you can uh, sl- slow try and slow down your thinking and then come back to a more uh, rational response rather than being emotional and flustered and take those those regular deep yeah yeah people underestimate how important that is like you know when you're breathing shallower i think it actually causes this hormone to be released called cortisol which is like the stress hormone which is going to make you feel more uh, stressed and you know all of that oxygen quickly going into your brain for that like fight or flight response you know we need to just calm down because when you get like that that's the way of breathing to when if you're in a fight or someone's chasing you but it's not a way to be if you're for example giving a presentation it's not a way to be if you're perhaps um trying to do stand-up comedy you don't want to be panicked you're not going to be you're going to miss a lot of cues from the audience or make mistakes in your planning if you're in that kind of flustered state yeah absolutely um, I, I, I said three, right? So I, I've got to finish my list. In fact, oh, I think please, go ahead. the third thing is, is, is experience, right? Basically, which is that the more you do it, the more times you go through the experience, the more you're able to manage it and the more you get used to it. You never get rid of the nerves completely, but you learn how to manage them. So sure. experience is the thing. If it's job interviews, you know, you've got to do lots of job interviews. You've got to practice, practice, practice if it's a presentation you know try doing it in front of different audiences and stuff like that the experience makes a huge difference and the fourth thing which i've just added one uh, is um uh, to try to remember that you're as well as doing a job or trying to get a job or whatever it is mm-hmm. you've got to try and remember also you're here to enjoy the experience you're here to try and enjoy your life mm-hmm. and express yourself and when you can, when I think when you can put a bit of joy into it and a bit of personality into it, suddenly that brings it to a to a, another level where it's not so much a um, a um, an ordeal that you're trying to get through, but rather it suddenly becomes 
actually something that you're going to enjoy and that you can enjoy expressing yourself. And that, that's surely the best way to turn it around. Because often with these situations, we feel like we are being attacked by uh, an experience and we've just got to get through it. But the best way to do it is to attack the experience itself. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree with that. For example, like if you're going to a job interview, there's all these thoughts of they're not going to give me the job, then I'm not going to have the money, then I can't get the girl, then I can't live the lifestyle, I can't buy the thing that I want. And if I don't get it, people know I was applying for the job and they'll think it's because of my bad English or my lack of skills. And, you know, the mind starts kind of running crazy. But see, when you're there, if you just remind yourself why you're there and furthermore, like, you want to build rapport with the person who's talking to you. You want to kind of make like leave them with a kind of nice feeling about you. Go and have a pleasant conversation. And if you're just in there and you're enjoying that conversation and you're kind of creating a nice relationship with someone, it just creates a nicer impression, a nicer vibe. You feel better and you don't really leave thinking I made all of these mistakes because of my nerves. I mean, I've just seen, I've observed so many people as an English teacher, you know, I've been doing that for a long time and I've done all of the stuff like job interview situations and all manner of different things, presentation tasks and stuff. And there are some people who essentially wait for things to come to them or something. They don't really grab the situation by the scruff of the neck. You know, they kind of just sort of wait like a, for a job interview, it's just kind of like imparting the information, but there's no real sense that the person is keen to connect with you in, in some way. Um, you know, you've got to push it further and really sort of in a job interview, I always recommend that people sort of sit up and sit forward because mm-hmm. it shows, look, I'm really keen and, um, I'm, I'm interested and I'm listening and I'm ready to give my answers. You've got to try to put yourself into it and try to enjoy it as well. There's got to be some fun in, in sharing ideas and communicating. You've got to try and enjoy the, the whole thing. Oh, completely. Yeah. P- plus with, you know, you and I as English language teachers, uh, you know, we, we teach words and we teach grammar. That's probably what we spend a lot of our days working on. But when it comes to communication, it's so much more of a broad subject. In fact, words are only 7% of communication. And that's probably the where you and me work. We work in that 7% of communication, words. But as you said, body language is, is a very big part. Uh, they say body language actually accounts for 70% of communication. Mm-hmm. And if, if you're you're not feeling good, it, it, it manifests itself in your in the body language. And I think it's really apparent to, like if you're on the stage and you don't feel confident, and you allow those unconfident feelings to take charge of your body, it's going to be very clear to the audience that you're not feeling confident or to the interviewer that you're not feeling confident or to the person you are, let's say, uh, meeting or on a date with. It's going to be very clear that you're not confident if you're allowing those things to control your uh, manners. Yeah, it's like when you feel nervous, it for it causes your body to sort of behave nervously. Yeah. So in order to try and you can try and reverse it's like reversing the polarities or something you kind of control your body force yourself to sit up and sit and look confident, confident sure yeah and that then somehow causes you mentally to feel a bit better it can re- remove some of the anxiety when yeah, you take a non-anxious body posture mm-hmm. it's sort of like your body releases something which tells you like oh, i'm feeling confident and i feel okay and i'm I'm breathing and, and look, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm up for it. I'm ready. And that then feeds that into your, into of the course. mental state as well. Of course. 
Plus, no one will know that you're not confident. Like if you're upright with your chest out, your shoulders back and your chin up, you're still and you're breathing slowly. People will not be able to tell. And I give this example to my students sometimes that, you know, with because another part of communication is your tonality. And for example, if you were to ask me a simple math question, like if you asked me what's two plus two, and I said four, four, <laughs> it's that, that increase of tonality makes it sound like I'm not sure, even though it's the correct answer. Whereas yep. if uh, you said, what's two add two? And I said, 16. You know, just the decrease in tonality made me sound more confident, even though uh, I was incorrect. Yeah. And and again, I think body language kind of comes into this too, because um, I find like nodding a little bit <laughs> yeah, when, yeah. when speaking uh, helps to hammer home the thing uh-huh. that you're saying, uh-huh. you know? And uh-huh. also the other thing is, is uh, I, <clears throat> eyebrows, and so often when I'm doing uh, pronunciation drills with my students, they probably think I'm crazy, but uh, I- I'm not. <laughs> it, it, what I do is, as well as trying to get them to repeat lines you know, of English, I, get, I try to get them to do different body language in it too. So I, it's all about attitude. And a lot of the time I find that raising my eyebrows when I'm doing a pronunciation drill really helps, especially if it's like, um, you know, a polite question, like, um, you know, could, do you have the time by any chance? Mm-hmm. Um, or, uh, you know, yeah, we could do that. I, I can't think of a good example at this moment, but there's, there are some moments where it's eyebrows down mm-hmm. and then others when it's eyebrows up okay. and like this, there's intonation in your voice, but there's intonation in your body language sure. as well. So I think going, down uh it's sort of it's like nodding your head to you know emphasize the points you're making and uh go you know when then there's a more open uh tone uh which is a bit more like this and um you know it also it's about opening out your face as well Mm. it's interesting isn't it yeah it really is i love how this is kind of went on to psychology as well the psychology of communication it's really fascinating yeah well it always ends up being that because you know Uh you can teach your students words and grammar. you can teach your students words and grammar that they then are expected to just sort of put together in order to send out a, a sort of verbal email kind of thing sure. in what you're saying but there's so much more to it than that it's all about attitude because um you know um body language as you said you know we, we talk about body language and the importance of it i would say that what's more important is attitude and your your mental attitude uh, to a situation will inform your body language you know it's kind absolutely. of like both. absolutely yeah when when you're really keen really interested in what the person is saying then you will end up leaning forwards your your face will become more open and you'll be doing if people are watching the video you probably see my face now this kind of uh, eyebrows up nodding my head listening right um that is and and that's very important i think it's really important for communication listening is absolutely massive it makes a huge difference to the person you're talking to if they feel that you are listening to them you know uh it helps communication massively have you ever spoken to and as an english teacher you probably have have you ever spoken to people who you don't feel are really properly listening They're yes not really yes 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 i think as a teacher you get really good at that especially when you can feel their brains kind of turning off or uh-huh. sometimes the students too polite but you can tell from their facial expression or their lack of eye contact that they just don't understand it or it's going over their head 
I think as a teacher, you have to become very empathetic like that. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, conversation is a two way street. And when the other person, when you feel that the other person isn't really listening to you for whatever reason, in this case, it's because they didn't understand, but it could be any other reason. Like for example, if they're on their phone or something, it's it's horrible trying to speak to people who aren't really listening to you. And so if you think about that in a communication, in a conversation, a good way to create a good conversation is to show the person you're talking to that you are listening to them. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to make a big effort. Again, I've seen in classrooms where I set up conversations, three people in each group. And sometimes you see people who are just sort of sitting there like, like this and having a conversation like, like the other people over here, having this kind of conversation, like sitting back here. And I kind of think you can't do that. You've got to, you've got to try and engage with the people you're talking to. And I think this thing is because they, in their minds, like I'm in an English classroom and I am constructing English and English is what will do the work for me. Mm-hmm. And it's all about constructing the perfect sentence with the perfect grammar with the right pronunciation, but I'll deliver it from here. Uh, whereas uh, a huge part of it is to actually come in, engage with the people you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the point I'm making here, I don't know how we got to this, is that um, communication and, and learning English, it's not just about learning words and grammar and even pronunciation. It's about learning the right attitude and adopting the right approach in order to deliver the, the language oh, in, the, in the right way. Yeah, yeah. A lot of students, they come and, you know, like I do one-on-one tutoring and, you know, they send that first message and the follow-up question is, okay, why do you want to learn English or what areas are you struggling with? What's that effect? And uh, a really, really common one is confidence. I'm, I'm not feeling so confident. And when you get talking to them, you know, because a lot of that first lesson for me is is just learning information about them, you know. So why are you not confident? And uh, what do you think would help you feel more confident? What are your kind of, uh, what do you believe just now are the, I suppose, obstacles in the way to you being more confident? And then they might say it's uh, this or it's that, or they don't know phrasal verbs or people use phrasal verbs and they, they don't get phrasal verbs and they aren't feeling confident. Uh, but a lot of people, they think that the, the key to confidence or maybe you've seen this yourself, like they think the key to fluency is maybe something that they can read or they can learn or they can just revise and then that's it. But it's, it's mm. not quite like that. You know, for fluency, for example, a lot of it is just you need to speak a lot. You need to really regularly speak to get fluent. You can't really learn something that will make you fluent. It's like the, the speed of which your brain can construct the sentence and your tongue can articulate it. And that's all muscles. Like it has to be exercised. Or with confidence, like you kind of need to have a confident mindset. You kind of need to to believe in yourself and you need to have this desire to have conversations. And when students think that the problem with their confidence is maybe lying in some words or something like that, I think a lot of students are looking in the wrong place for their confidence. Do you have any experience with that? Well, yeah. It's like one of the most, as you said, it's one of the most common things that people say. And uh yeah, confidence is a very mysterious one. Where, what is it? Where does it come from? How do you get it? And yeah, mo- a lot of people are not confident because they are very aware of their shortcomings in English. And this obviously makes them unconfident. I know how it feels as a person who struggles to speak French. Um, you know, it does ruin your confidence and you end up sort of, you know, I think I'll just not speak 
you know, that's kind of what you do. Um, yeah, it's a really tricky one. It really is. But the only way to do it is to just try and try again. Just keep on, get, just get back on the horse. You know that expression? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I guess it comes from gymnastics or something, right? Or, or horse riding? Anyway, you're trying to Probably. do something and you fall off and you fail, you hit the floor. So, you know, you just got to get back up and get back on the horse and carry on. Um, and, you know, you only develop confidence through failure, mm-hmm. right? And I, you know, no one just goes, yay, I'm a huge success from the very beginning. Ta-da, here we yeah. go. Most people will fail and try again and sort of like, oh, I don't know, just don't care. You shouldn't really care that much. Yeah. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? If you say some things wrong, people won't understand you. It's not the end of the world. You kind of got to get over it and you've got to just throw yourself in at the deep end and, and, and do it regularly. So yes, regular speaking practice is vital. It's, I mean, it's like, you know, if you, you know, if you want to become good at tennis, you know, what do you do? You can't just like watch people play tennis forever and read books about playing tennis and uh, watch YouTube videos of people showing you how to play tennis and stuff. You've just got to get out there with a tennis racket in your hand and just do it again and again and again. English is mysterious because it's not like tennis. English is weird. It's like if you could imagine, no, that's very strange analogy. The thing about English is that you can, you can learn about English in English. Mm. You can't, you can't do the same thing with tennis, but um, my, my point is that to get good at it, you've got to try and do it and do it on a regular yeah, basis. Absolutely. Have fun. Um, something I might just add to that for anyone who's listening is that. A, a negative thought. So I call them ants. Can't remember who said this to me, automatic negative thoughts. An ant that many people have is that I'm just not confident. They think that it's like you just have it or you don't have it. And as you said, it's very mysterious. Where does it come from? How do you get it? But you can learn confident habits as we have spoken about. Like there's the confident body language. There's the confident tone of the voice. There is the confident, you know, eye contact. You can learn these cues. You can learn the confident way of communicating. You know, you act confident. People say, oh, this guy's confident. You know, the treat you as if you're a confident person it kind of encourages your confidence and it's like a cycle now you're in a confidence cycle but it comes through practicing that confidence so yeah because i hear a lot of people say i'm just not confident but it, it, that's like saying i just can't play the guitar well you've never picked up a guitar or opened a guitar but you can actually strum the guitar so it's something that it can absolutely be learned the thing about the guitar is a good one because uh, uh... <laughs> Like playing, learning the guitar is really hard. It's, it's really, really hard. You've got to keep practicing it again and again and again. And I just feel like the people who, who do it are the ones who just really enjoy practicing and really just want to play, want to spend time with the guitar in their hands. Yeah. And yeah. it's just for the joy, just the love of playing that, that getting good is not just like a, Oh, a thing I've got to get through. I've got to get good and then I'll be good. And then I won't have to worry or stress anymore. Instead of playing the guitar, it's more just like, just enjoying it and as a as you struggle to sort of enjoy it more and express yourself more you naturally sort of progress at it so um yeah just it's all about the journey rather than the destination isn't it yeah sure sure Uh, yeah of course i would agree i I would completely agree with that having i think uh i mean another point is some students they haven't really thought about the end they think that this might be something that they could use or like, for example, let's say with playing the guitar, right? 
let's say your end goal was just to impress some girls. You know, it's not a, a deep goal and it's probably not going to be enough to uh, get you to become an immaculate guitar player. But let's mm-hmm. say with like doing the IELTS or something, you know that if you do the IELTS, you can go live in this other country. This other country, you're going to have, be more prosperous and you can have the life that you want. You know, it's it's a stronger motivation. So I think enjoying the journey and having a strong kind of motivation, I think a combination of the two can be quite beneficial. Yeah. A strong motivation, definitely. But I would say the thing about the IELTS is, this is going to sound weird as well, that, yeah, you've got to have that motivation. Like I've got to get the IELTS in order to get X, Y, and Z, these other good things I want. But also... Don't forget to 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 uh, you know focus on sort of enjoying IELTS. I know that's crazy because it's IELTS. Who enjoys it? I don't know. Uh, but do you know what I mean? That 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 the task at hand is the improving your English, and so improving your English has to be the thing that you're enjoying. It's got, you've got to enjoy the process of doing that. You've got to enjoy just spending time with English just learning this to pronounce the sounds of English and just picking up new words and just that time that you spend with English has to be satisfying and, and sure. enjoyable for you in itself. Cause otherwise you're not going to do it. Like potentially what might happen is you think, right, I need IELTS in order to get, uh, uh, these girls <laughs> to, uh, to be impressed with me. Um, and hey, ladies, I've got 7.5 Niles. But so, well, so, so, okay. So this person is like, right, I need IELTS because of, you know, my, I need to make my parents happy. I need to get a good job and stuff. But the fact is they don't want to do IELTS. They don't like doing IELTS. IELTS is not nice. And so they don't do it. And, and, and then they feel really bad because they feel like I'm not getting that thing and it's all my fault and I feel really bad. Sure. So in, I, I would say, yes, focus on your goals, but also enjoy the task at hand uh, and it will, yeah. it will make a huge difference. Yeah. And see, that, that goes so much further, not just for English, but just as a life philosophy. Like I, I kind of have this idea that we should be trying to be the best version of ourselves because see, if you don't have that philosophy and, you know, you wake up early, it's brutal. You know, you, you try eating a salad, it tastes terrible. You know, you go to the gym, man, I could be watching TV. You know, you're always thinking of, you're not enjoying these individual tasks. But see, if you're waking up early and, you know, you're exercising, you're eating healthy, you're studying, you're learning, you're, you know, you're uh, like learning isn't always necessarily fun. Like learning communication, it's useful. It's not a lot of the time it's not really fun or learning a language. Some of the parts of it are going to be a, a bit tedious. It's not always going to be fun. But see if you know that every time you go to the gym or every time you wake up early or every time you learn something, it's like it's like another wee piece of Lego that you're just adding to this tower that mm-hmm. you're building. And you know, you feel like the tower is just getting bigger and bigger. You feel like you're just getting closer to where you're supposed to be, who you're supposed to be. I think that makes a big difference as well. So as, as you said, for the English, it's excellent, but it could really be extended as that whole life motto. Yeah, and you've got, to, you've got to focus on the positives. I mean, there's no, you have no choice. You have to be optimistic. Whoops. Um, um, yeah, that's right. I, forgot, I lost my train of thought there for a second. You have to be up, that's it. Because if you're getting up really early to do your workout or whatever it is, you, you know, on one hand, you could, oh, it's dark. I want to be asleep. Mm-hmm. But you then you've got to look on the other side. Well, at least I'm up early. This is, uh, I've sure. done it. You know, I'm actually up now. No one else is up. This is, this is really cool. It's actually mm-hmm. the best part of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got to, you know, you tune into the good side of it. 
and look for the look for the good things and try to accentuate those and it'll help you i guess get through the things which normally would be not so great like yeah going to the gym is like yeah right another one ticked off yeah you know, sure sure uh, it's constantly getting closer to a goal uh, mm. i know i'm coming close to the, my, the end of my uh, time with you so I'll, I'll just wrap up with with one other question and by the okay. way I'm, re- I'm really enjoying this conversation yeah yeah this is great yeah like I'd also, yeah, I'd also like to just take a wee moment to um, give thanks to my student Ivan. It was Ivan from Russia who encouraged me to make podcasts, and it was Ivan who introduced me to your podcast. And he says you should reach out to this guy. Uh, I reached oh, out to great. you, and yeah, so just thank you to Ivan for making Hello. all this happen. Ivan or Ivan or uh, uh, yeah, so I think it's Ivan probably or Ivan. We'd uh, say Ivan in England, in, yeah, in yeah. the UK and Scotland and Wales and Northern sure. Ireland. <laughs> yeah sure I, Ivan teaches me some Russian in our classes uh, he taught me I also forget how to say it Zadrova Druk Zadrova Druk have you how, how about yourself have you ever learned any bits of your students languages I know you're learning French right now yeah I'm you know, doing French uh, <laughs> yes I've learned some bits of students languages I mean I've learned some Italian but I'm not going to repeat it here because it's very rude <laughs> Okay. Uh, but it's the thing that yeah. it's the thing an Italian person would say when they do this with their hands. And it's okay, yeah, yeah. Saying what the hell are you talking about, <laughs> or what the hell are you doing? But I shouldn't say it because it's rude. But I think okay. Italians will know. Um, and uh, um, I mean, I lived in Japan for a while, so obviously I learned some Japanese. But once a, a Japanese student of mine taught me the the most scary thing that you can say in Japanese. In and I was like, I said to him, tell me something that like a, a, a Yakuza guy would say when he was really <laughs> angry, you know? So he taught me this thing. I can't remember what it is now, but I did actually say it to another Japanese student that I had. We all oh, went to the God. pub after a course and I was with some Japanese students and I said, Oh, I know something really scary in Japanese. And I said it to them. And they kind of didn't know what to say, either because I'd said it correctly or because I'd said it incorrectly. <laughs> if I'd said it incorrectly, they'd be like, what? If I'd said it correctly, they'd be even more like, what? What are you yeah. saying? <laughs> so, yeah, little bits, little bits of, of students' languages. Yeah, it's one of the fun things about yeah, this sure. job. Sure, man. Uh, what kind of uh, level of learners are you working with? Um, well, at the moment at the British Council, where I teach, um, I'm teaching B2 students so uh, see with your b2 students in france what's a common problem that these students face and how, how do you help them with it Ooh, well that's a long that's a big question um hmm that is a very big question um there are many things i don't know where to begin mm-hmm. but i, I suppose Maybe just choose one. you can just focus on one let's say the intermediate plateau but that's very vague but to be more specific like, let's try and get more specific and i'll say phrasal verbs okay. because um really french problem for students ab- absolutely because in most languages i don't think they really exist mm. and they are complicated for two reasons like three reasons really one reason is because often they use delexicalized words mm. like you know to get on with someone you know for example uh, get, I mean, it, it almost means nothing, you know, when you, when it's taken in isolation, you know, you, you know, it means obtain and sure. things like that receive. I think but, another problem with that is students try to translate, uh, Google translate phrasal verbs. And they're like, what does this mean? It doesn't make any sense, but it's, yeah. it's not a way to learn phrasal verbs. 
So they are idiomatic. They yeah. appear to mean nothing. Uh, and they're grammatically complicated because you yeah. can separate them sometimes and sometimes yeah, you sure. can't. Yeah, There's sure. two words and a preposition. People don't know. Don't, uh, prepositions are like those words that like, hmm, not sure. Yeah. about these like there's the big ones like noun verbs and adjectives i know where they go in a sentence but prepositions uh, yeah sure that's, that's obvious um so phrasal verbs are a problem for french people because they don't have them in french and because uh french being a sort of latin uh you know romance language um a lot of the equivalents or the french equivalents of our phrasal verbs would be very formal verbs uh, in english and this makes french people sound quite formal when they speak, they can be a bit formal sounding um, because um, they sort of lack that those little verb phrases and things that sort of make our language a bit more, you know, um, friendly sounding or a bit more natural sounding. Sure. Yeah. And, and how do you normally uh, help students with that? Do you have a particular resource that's been useful? Um. Uh, just little bit by little bit, first of all, just sort of like you know, introducing a few phrasal verbs from a course book or something like that and practicing and getting them to uh, produce as much as well as understanding. It's a complicated process. There's understanding what the phrasal verb means, how it works, and then the productive side, always trying to get them to, to give them opportunities to actually use the phrasal verbs in correct sentences a few times. And I feel like once they've used them a few times in a few meaningful ways, then they'll remember them. In terms of resources, um, I did a pod, I actually did a podcast series called uh, A Phrasal Verb a Day. There's like okay. 150 episodes of it. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Each episode is, is a couple of minutes long and it deals with a different phrasal verb each time. The idea was the challenge I set myself. I don't know why I did this because it was a stupid idea. I could, there's no way I could have done it. Uh, the idea was to um, do a phrasal verb lesson every single day for a year mm-hmm. um, and post them up on, on a podcast channel. But I got about three months in and then life got in the way and I couldn't finish. But anyway, I've got about 150 episodes and that's, that's in my app. Actually, I've got an app on, on, um, on both app stores uh ios and android so if you search for luke's english podcast app you'll find it all of your links and, are in in the bottom so there's the there's the app for ios and android you've got your youtube channel and you've got your website am i missing anything well i mean just the podcast you know which is available wherever you get your podcasts but uh yeah that's i think that's enough <laughs> yeah, cool. do. all yeah. of your links are uh down below i recommend everyone checks you out but look, uh, I know it's coming to a time you need to get your daughter from school, but thanks mm-hmm. so much for coming on today. Thanks for inviting me. It's been really good fun and uh, good luck with the videos and, and the rest of it and uh, have a lovely afternoon. You too, man. So that was my conversation with Ray Adam from English with Ray. Now, uh, you will find links on the page for this episode on my website. If you'd like to find Ray, I mean, I'm not going to give you his address or anything, you know, I'm not, although if you're, if you're, if you are Liam Neeson out there, you, you will be able to find him anyway. But, um, uh, you, you'll be able to find, for example, links to his YouTube channel and, um, 
any other sort of details that uh, that I have uh, for him. Okay, so that was yeah, that was my conversation with Ray Adam, and uh, it was very sort of interesting the way uh, we ended up talking about all that sort of psychology uh, of language learning and the confidence issues and ways you can manage that and stuff, uh, and then sort of got specific into things like you know the issues that French learners have with English. Phrasal verbs are a big one, of course, and uh, yes, you can find a phrasal verb a day um in the luke's english podcast app but actually it's a podcast so you can actually find it wherever you get your podcasts so if you just search your podcast app for a phrasal verb a day you'll probably find it it's also on spotify now so yeah a phrasal verb a day is still there um and yeah something like 150 episodes there are actually there are 140 episodes on spotify and itunes and stuff but uh, in the app there are i think 15 extra uh, phrasal verb episodes um, uh, there so that's probably the best place to get them all um so there you go all right well um very nice to to you know sort of do a swap cast like this uh initially this was just supposed to be for for ray uh he contacted me and sort of reached out to uh, arrange an interview and then at the end he said to me you know feel free to post this you can uh you know it would be great if you could actually post this on your podcast or on your youtube channel uh and so i'm you know i'm happy to do that i think it was a good conversation i think i i think listeners you will agree there were sort of uh, uh good things to take away from this things to consider and things to maybe to uh, to apply to yourself uh, attitude wise and sort of habit wise as well um so there you go i did hint uh, oh that was a did you hear that noise i don't know if you did um you probably did if you didn't i'll just carry on uh what was i going to say so uh, earlier in the episode uh in the audio episode so the the youtube version is actually finished now uh, but uh, here in the audio version, we're still going. In fact, the audio versions will often have more content uh, than the video versions. Often the video is just the interview part without the sort of little introduction. Little, yes, I try and keep my introductions brief these days. Anyway, the, the video versions don't have the introduction. They don't often have the rambling part at the end uh, as well. So here we are in the audio zone doing a bit of rambling. I did say at the beginning uh, that I would possibly end with a song and i thought all right i'll give it a go so uh okay so those of you who don't like my singing and stuff um then thank you so much for listening uh but this is pretty much the end okay i'm going to um i'm going to say bye 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 all right so you get that and then i'll tr- do this little song i'll talk about it a bit and try and do it and then you'll hear the jingle and that will be the end of the episode okay so thank you so much for listening and I will speak to you properly again in the next episode, uh, which will be arriving soon. Uh, But for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Right. So I've said bye, bye, bye. So, okay, you know me. I always like to do songs by Neil Innes. It's just like, I don't know. I do try and do songs by other people too. Recently, I did, uh, you know, that Coldplay song and stuff. But, um... I just keep coming back to this particular songwriter and I just enjoy his songs so much. I've talked about him before. Um, but anyway, this is a song he wrote for the Ruttles album, which was released in the mid-90s. The Beatles in the mid-90s did the Anthology Project, 
And the Ruttles then came out with the Archaeology Project, where they kind of recorded some new songs and released some sort of outtakes and things. So the Ruttles are a parody group. You know, they, they parody the Beatles in a very clever, uh, a very spot-on way. And so this is a song by Neil Innes in a sort of a John Lennon mode, I would say. Um, it sort of feels like one of those later period Beatles songs of John's uh, on the piano. I'm going to try and play it on the guitar. Uh, but it's it, it's called Questionnaire. And what I love about this song is that Neil Innes has managed to write a song about those people in the street who come up to you uh, with with clipboards and they will often have T-shirts with logos on them. They come up to you because they want to ask you questions because they're doing a questionnaire. It's like some sort of consumer survey or whatever. They're trying to get information. And so they come up to you. They, I mean, um, you know, usually you try and avoid them in the street. You try and, you know, walk around them. But sometimes they, they get you and you end up having to answer their questions and do their, their questionnaire. So this is actually a song in that sort of John Lennon style um about being being accosted by a clipboard questionnaire person in the street okay uh and it's it's a mix of sort of funny and and quite deep it's interesting it's a, it's a great song so you can imagine sort of a john lennon john lennon sort of singing this you know okay Mr. Man in the street, excuse me. Do you have a few moments to spare? Oh, yeah. Don't worry, I'm not trying to sell you anything you wouldn't want. I'm just a questionnaire. Tell me what you think about this low-fat diet shampoo. Do you think it's crunchy, half-crunchy or not? Crunchy at all Put a tick in the appropriate box There's nothing to it Yes, no, don't, no, I don't care I'm only a questionnaire Only a questionnaire Please, Mr. Man in the street Excuse me I'm only doing my job and I need to know Oh, everything about you, take it easy, all you gotta do is answer yes or no. Tell me what you think about the devil and the deep blue sea. Do you think there's one true God, false God, or no God at all? Put a tick in the appropriate box, there's nothing to it. Yes, no, don't, no, I don't care I'm only a questionnaire Yes, no, don't, no, I don't care I'm only a questionnaire Only a questionnaire Now 
can you tell me what you think about how easy it can be to buy a gun? Do you think it's crazy, half crazy or not crazy at all? Put a tick in the appropriate box. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.